Evil to the right hand, puts Herb down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 911, I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Liebold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. Warrior. What's going on, guys? Welcome. Episode number 20, Hockey to Hell and Back. I'm excited for this one. We got Chris Dingman coming back by popular demand. You guys love this story. So did I. I had a lot of fun on that one. You see my sweatshirt? Shout out to the entire Probert family. I just got a package from Danny and the kids. Uh, I got a bunch of Probert ride stuff. We're going to do some giveaways in the near future. Uh, thank you to Danny and the entire Probert family for all your support. Uh, you know, you're supporting me. You're supporting Puck Support. Thank you so much. Uh, I made a video about this earlier, but in case you haven't seen this, she sent me two copies of this book. One's for me, but we're going to auction off the other one, guys. And it's signed by Joey Kosher and... 
Bob Probert. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be optioned on the Puck Support website. Super cool. So thank you, guys. I really appreciate you. I can't wait to read it. Um, I've already read Tough Guy like three times. So really cool stuff. Uh, I got the hoodie on. I'm going to take it off right now, though. That's right. We're doing a giveaway. We got a couple of Mitch Marner shirts to give away. Compliments of Rob McDougal. I got a whole bag of them. Gave away one yesterday to my friend Kale Needham. But we're going to give these away. You got to watch the full episode uh, to win this. Thank you to Rob McDougal down there in Oakville taking care of me. Put together a team. I'm going to get my teeth two weeks. Two weeks, guys, and I'll have a new smile. It won't be so ugly to look at during these podcasts. Uh, before I say anything else, you guys know, of course, this episode is brought to you by Team Issue Limited. Take it away, Regan Bartell. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. TeamIssue.ca promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Awesome stuff. What's up, Regan? Shout out always the best in the business, Regan Bartell. I'm going to peel this shirt off in a sec and later on and show you the other shirt underneath. Uh, you can see beside me the Puck Support trademark Puck Addiction shirt. You guys can get yours, PuckSupport.com. Right now, we've had, man, we've had a lot of orders. You can see the hat too. This is the Flex Fit. You guys wanted a Flex Fit. I don't wear these hats. I'm a snapback guy, but hey, it says puck support across the back, so I thought it looked good for the podcast. Thank you guys, seriously, for all the support. Uh, you know the money's going right back into our mental health and addiction fund, uh, helping the hockey community, and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I've been getting a lot of messages over the last, you know, 11, almost 12 months, but in the last month, those messages have gone up about 500%. So... Everybody is struggling right now with COVID and everything else that's going on. And it's real out there, you know. So if you need support, reach out to us. You can reach out to me directly. Or if you want to go to the professional, which is probably the best, your best bet, reach out to uh, Sandra Murray. Sandra at PuckSupport.com. Thank you, Sandra, for all that you're doing. We're all volunteers here at Puck Support. We're not making money. You know, I'm not taking any money from any of the sales. Nothing. Um, shout out to Susan Cook. I'm sitting in her basement right now. And the reason why we're able to do this, a big reason is because of her. And of course, like Dave Gilmore and James Gardner, shout out to you guys uh, for helping us raise the money to get in the position we're in. But Susan stepped up big time and, uh, you know, helping the hockey community in so many ways. And it's really started to take off. So thank you guys. Um, I'm really grateful for everything. And if you're watching this live, thank you so much. You're going to have an opportunity to win a Marner shirt. Um, showing a little appreciation for tuning in. Um, what else is going on? Uh, I don't have a super long intro because Dinger's coming back for a second time, and I hope you guys have seen the first episode. Um, but, you know, it's like a couple-minute long intro, maybe a minute and a half, but we're going to get right into it. Um, but let's play this video first. Colorado, Sackett. The shot block, Sackick, another shot blocked by Bergevin. Young loses the puck. Joe Sackick gives it to Dingman. He shoots and scores. 
it four to one. And I believe Sackick will get an assist on this, Kenny, which will be point number 1,000 as Dinman gets the goal. Dinman had a great opportunity in the first period. He makes this one count. They're celebrating the point instead of Dingman's goal, which will be his fifth of the season. Just the 56th player in the National Hockey League history to get point number 1,000. Pierre Turgeon did it earlier this year. There's Sackett there, leaves it for Dingman, who winds up two people in front of Roman Turk. Nothing he could do. Dead Marsh is there. They've given up four goals. Really, Turk didn't have much of an opportunity on any of them. He really has not. So Dingman gets his fifth. Joe Sackick, the 56th player in NHL history. That's uh, pretty awesome, guys. We have a little intro for you, and then we'll be right back here with the full episode. All right, guys, we'll see you in a few. For everyone that's watched over the last few months, so grateful. You guys know how this usually goes. A long, stretched-out intro of me pumping up my guest, sharing their accolades, and why I admire them. And that's not going to change, not today, not ever. But today, we have a return guest, one of my new friends, Chris Dingman. And if you missed the first episode, we covered a lot but there's still so much more to talk about. He's back by popular demand. His stories were capturing to say the least. Talking about guys like Ray Bork and Patrick Waugh, he played alongside five Hockey Hall of Famers on the Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And he even scored the goal on Joe Sackick's 1,000th point. That's right. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a WHL champion, a two-time first-round pick once in the Western League and again in the National Hockey League. Prior to having him on the first time, I was so pumped to tell him about the Dingman legacy, which I did in the first episode. We covered that. We covered a lot of funny stories, a lot of great stories, and I don't expect anything to be different today. So no long intro. Let's get right in to episode Number 20, we had to bring him back because you guys wanted him back. We love his stories. We can't wait to hear him. Let's do it. This is going to be a good one. Here we go from Edmonton, Alberta, Chris Dingman. Dinger. What's going on, buddy? Oh, nothing. Just trying to figure out why I was on the ice with Sackett and able to score that goal. So. <laughs> hey, that's a great shot man you know what i because i went i had to go back and watch it right after i had you on the podcast because i actually didn't know i did yeah. up my research but somehow i missed that small little detail that you're a part of uh, hockey history in a big way not only a couple stanley cups but scoring that goal that's a big shot there big shot so that's pretty cool yeah well it wasn't very often i got a puck in the high slot there i think the best part about it was uh, he was trying to pass to santa solish and i almost uh, you watching the video there. I think I pretty much body checked them out of the way. So, yeah, it was great because they, our team was so good that we had, uh, well, we had seven defensemen. There were eight or nine, actually. They were unbelievable. So we would dress 7D and 
Bob Harley double shift uh, Sackick or Forsberg between Jeff Rogers and myself. And it was funny because uh, Forsberg would double shift in the first period and then Sackick in the second period or whatever. And I was like, yeah, Joe, there's a lot of guys on this team. You don't want my name on that. So you better get it done in the first, you, before, you have to get, before you have to play with me because you don't want my name on it with all those guys. And he was like, ah, whatever, ah, whatever. So, yeah, just very lucky to be on the ice. And, yeah, I saw that on Twitter, uh, <clears throat> I think it was a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, a little push snapper, like half slapper. I don't know. So it worked. The old yeah, it, was played. it was a great shot. I actually, I talked about this on the last time too. This is, uh, uh, this is my Joe Sackick claim. So Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year 2004-2005. I'm on, the, I'm on the same trophy as Joe Sackick. So you know that's that's about as close as I got to Burnaby Joe. Other than being in the same, born in the same hospital. Uh, Darren McCarty talked about it recently on his podcast. How me, him, and Burnaby Joe were all born in the same hospital, but he got all the skill and and that was it. So he took all the skill out of that hospital. But hey, thanks for doing this, man. How's things out in Alberta with everything going on? COVID, all that crap. <clears throat> that's been okay i think uh <clears throat> much like everyone else everyone's i don't know it's getting old to be honest with you and you know we have to do what we can to keep people safe and <clears throat> you know i think it's been difficult on everybody and you know i think we're seeing a lot with uh it's been really difficult on the kids and not having sports and you know we've all everybody's lost a lot it's affected businesses it's affected you know just social interaction to be honest with you and you know i'm very lucky that i got a lovely wife and i got three great kids and you know, they let me hang out with them. We all like each other for the most part. We 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 uh we battle a little bit on the ODR, but uh, you know, it's been a struggle. It's been hard on the kids, just not having that interaction uh, that sports and you know, you know, and myself and anyone that's played and why guys still play beer league or pick up hockey is that uh, just that camaraderie. It's uh, as much as the on ice stuff. It's the before the game, the after the game stuff, and talking to guys and or girls, whatever you know, whoever you play with. So. You know, it's been pretty good, but it's been difficult. Uh, you know, we had, a, we had a great Christmas. Uh, you know, we just talking and skated on the ODR. And I posted a picture of my son. Uh, <clears throat> he said he was trying to make a pass, but I'm not really sure. So I got a pretty wicked bruise. And I'm complaining because I have one bruise. And then my older boy, uh, it's funny, I was talking to his coaches the other day. And they were doing a workout or something online or I don't know. And he's like, man, what happened to Hunter Shins? He's got bruises everywhere. And I said, wow. And he said, well, it's for my brother. And I said, yeah, things get a little competitive on the ODR. Uh, his younger brother, uh, you know, he's a little sour when he loses. He's very competitive. We have a competitive family. And so he waxed him a little bit, and he's, uh, he's shot a few off. And so I was trying to explain to him that, well, both of them, because <clears throat> they're both competitive. But, you know, it's the ODR. It's, you know, you're out there. You can compete and have fun. But. You, know, you don't get anything if you win. So, like, you know, hitting each other and tackling each other and, you know, hitting and stuff, we got to kind of dial it down a little bit. So it's good that they're really competitive, but uh, <laughs> we got a few bruises in the family. So, yeah. Uh, they get to win bragging rights at the Dingman dinner table, though, man. That's what they're competing for, right? And uh, how, like, what's the age gap between those two boys? Uh, like pretty much two years. So 12 year old and a 14 year old, there's like a month that separates them. So, uh, my younger guys, uh, he's a pretty big, uh, he's really big for his age, I guess, kind of like I was. So, you know, it's hard because my older, my older son, he's hit puberty and yeah. it's a big, you know, there's a big step when once you hit puberty and you're able to put on muscle and stuff. So he's got a little faster and a little stronger. So I, my 12 year old is a little rattled. He's like, hey, you know, I can't keep up or it's not fair. And I said, just wait, you know, just wait till, you know, puberty is the equalizer. Just wait, you'll feel like you have this new strength or whatever. So, but they're great. They're they're good kids, and uh, I love them. And my wife's done a really good job. I can't take credit for 
a lot of it because <laughs> a lot of it's her. But yeah, they're they're good. They're great. Uh, thank goodness I have them. To be honest with you, because it's you know it's it's unfortunate that you know we have to do what we have to do, and not being able to see extended family. Like we did the drive by. Basically, my my dad dropped off presents in the backyard. And, you know, we kept our distance, and then my mother in law, same thing. So we just said hi and, you know, basically dropped gifts off. And, you know, but I'm lucky that, uh, you know, my, kid, my kids still let me play with them. So I'm allowed to play Xbox, which is good because uh, they've gotten better at NHL and I'm quite competitive. So uh, <laughs> I used to win at least 50% and now it's down to, I don't know, maybe 20%. It's not very good. So <laughs> I would get oh. mad. And the worst part about the new NHL, NHL 21, is that if you pass it across the backdoor pass, you score like quite frequently. And, you could see it coming and I go to play the pass and I miss it. And I'm like, you know, and I just, cause I know it's coming. You know what I mean? It's like one of those things like, you know, it's coming, but you can't stop it. So a little frustrating, but uh, I just happy that uh, they allow me to play with them basically instead of playing no. online or with their friends. No doubt, man. You almost get to live your, your teenage years again, playing out on the outdoor rink with them. That's got to be really cool. And uh, they must, I mean, they must look up to you, man, two Stanley Cups. Like, do you feel, do you think they feel a little bit of pressure? Like, I haven't really asked anybody this uh, other than Jake Tugnut, Ron Tugnutson, who was a goalie. I said, like, do you think it's is it hard for you? And he did. Like, do you think they, you know, do they have high expectations of themselves because their dad, you know, played in the NHL and won two Stanley Cups? Or, or do are they their own, sort of in their own zone and they're like – carve out my own path here <clears throat> um i don't know 100 to be honest with you um like i know my my older guy he's a skilled player and his his favorite all-time player is datsuk and then uh his current player he really likes Peter, peterson or peterson harvey says yeah Elias yeah. in vancouver and you know i think one time he kind of said <clears throat> like he didn't really say it to me but i think it was more to my wife just that you know kind of the dad's you know doesn't like me as much or doesn't think i'm a good player because i'm not physical and you know, something along those lines, and I said to him, like, you have no idea. Like, you're a way better player than I ever was or will be. Like, the stuff they can do with the puck and, like, the skill stuff is ridiculous. Like, both my boys and, you know, my younger guy's a little bit more like me. He's a little bit more like a bull in a china shop and, you know, gets a little physical. But even he doesn't like taking penalties. He doesn't really take penalties. So, um, I think there's a little bit – they say more to my wife, you know, uh, yeah. I really try not to put pressure on them. And, uh, like, I don't, we don't do extra stuff at home. Like, we go to the ODR. I said, you want to go? And, yeah. And, you know, like, we have the ring in the backyard. And, um, you know, we will shoot and do some stuff. But I'm like, hey, you want to work or anything? They're like, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. So, you know, I think there's yeah. a little bit, maybe a little bit of pressure there. But I really don't try not to put any on them. I just tell them it's, you know, where they're playing. They have a great opportunity. And, you know, they have a chance. And just, uh basically do the best you can make the most of it. And don't, you know, don't say what if after the fact, you know, every day it gets hard and with everything that's going on, the season has been paused and they're not, you know, my younger guys doing the zoom workouts and my older guys is going to school, but they're not practicing with their team. So it's difficult. And, you know, it's all year olds, a little different mindset than my 14 year old. And for him, it's more, they keep telling him like, this is a great opportunity in the sense that, you know, he's, he's on the, he's an October birthday. So he's a late birthday for 06 and, you know, he was later, there was kids who were a lot bigger than puberty and are older, you know, six, eight months, 10 months older than them. So I said, this is a great opportunity for you to like catch up. Basically, if you, you eat well and you work out and, and sleep, you can, and they've both grown like a couple inches, like my older guy's grown like five, six inches in the last year. Or so it's kind of been a blessing in, in disguise yeah. a little bit. And just trying to tell them, it's, I know it's hard and, 
you know, it's difficult that you're not, you're not playing or practicing, but you know, what you do when people aren't watching and aren't looking. And I think, you know, this and everyone knows this, that you know, in the off season and, you know, that's when you put in the work and before you get on the ice. So just trying to stress that to them that I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but you got to be ready. You could go back next week or the week after whenever they decide it's safe. So I just try to stress that to them. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great, great point is, you know, I didn't thought about that. Some, some of these kids that aren't playing should look at that as an opportunity. Um, you know, if, depending on how you want to look at it, you know, you can sit back and sulk or you can say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to work even harder now. So when that season fires up, you know, if, if there was, a, if I was a step behind, maybe a, a guy or two, what can I do now to elevate myself to get there? I think what they have an advantage of is something that I really missed out on. And it's not because you know, anything my dad did or didn't do, you know, he was a scout in the Western League and stuff, but not playing pro hockey, you know, I never knew how to be a pro. Like, you know, I was never shown how to be a pro. Like, even when you get to the Western League at 16 years old, it was like, I was so anxious and so scared. And to be honest with you, a lot, most of the older guys, they didn't really bring in the younger guys. They were taking our fine money and going and drinking by themselves, if I'm honest, and which is fine. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say anything about that, but I think they have a huge advantage because, you know what it takes, you know, 100% what it takes. And that a big part of that is off the ice, like how, how you are off the ice. Do you stress this to them at all about like the way they are off the ice and, and, and how they present themselves? Because I've heard a lot of guys talk about, you know, different draft interviews they've gone to and they might say the wrong thing, or, you know, they, they might say the wrong thing to the coach or, you know, temper tantrum, all that kind of stuff. Um, at what age do you think, you know, should we really be hammering that home to the kids? And is that something that you talk about? I think from as early as possible that, uh, like I'm a firm believer in coaching when I coached and when I still do, I'm not obviously right now. Um, is it, you know, I believe it's life skills. I think sports are life skills. And I think when you see guys sometimes when their careers don't pan out or they go off or maybe on the wrong foot or something, is it, you see a lot in, in college sports where, like you look at like college football and basketball and these guys are such good players. And they know they're going to make X amount if they're projected to be a first round pick or a second round pick. And sometimes the rules don't apply. They don't have to go to class or they don't have to do tests and stuff. And, you know, I just really try and stress that you never know who's watching and not to make them, you know, self-conscious or anything. Just, you know, hockey's a small community. Edmonton's a small community. Uh, like everyone kind of knows everyone and, it's been weird going to the ODR, the outdoor rinks and stuff. And we went to one and there's some guys playing and, you know, a guy said, is your name Chris? And I said, yeah. And he said, Dingman. And he said, oh, I went to junior high with you. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, you guys want to play pickup? So we played. And so I was going to tell my son after, and, you know, you just never know. And I just trying to stress to them that you always want to represent yourself in a positive way. And you never want to, you know, I do say like, I, I like to think I was known for being a good guy and a hard worker and, and just uh, if that's the only thing I expect out of them is that, you know, please and thank you and should treat people with respect and yeah. just life skills, like showing up early, being ready. And, you know, coaches like, yes, man, you know, can you play right wing? Sure. Can you play center? Sure. Left wing? Sure. Goalie. I don't know. Maybe that hurts too much, yeah. but just, uh, just stuff like that. So I just really try and like I said, just, uh, just stress that you always want to represent yourself in a positive way and, even if you're having a bad day and just to, you know, just even when they're battling on the outdoor rink and they're arguing, well, it wasn't a goal because there's no nets. And so we always, we find rinks that are dead and there's no one. So we found a couple where they're, you know, it's just us basically. And, you know, they were using a tire 
And it's like, it was in, wasn't it? And they're arguing because, you know, you're trying to lean the tire up against the, against the, the backboards. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if there's people walking by or in the park or something. I'm like, you just don't. I know you're competitive. Just let it go. Let it go. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So they've gotten better at that. So, yeah, I don't really try not to stress too much and put too much pressure on them. But, you know, I was lucky, too. And Brandon, like, we all got Hayes. We all got rookies. And, but I had good veterans, like Sean McFatchards and uh, Jeff Jubinville and uh, guys like that. Marty Murray were there. So, like, we actually hung out with the veteran guys, which was great. Uh, they'd come over to my bill. So, you know, I had a good experience in that sense where, you know, you still had to do the things you had to do with the initiations. And, you know, everyone had to do them. And you carried the stick bag and, you know, the skate sharpener and all that stuff. And you yeah. just did the things you had to do. But, I, you know, I was, I was lucky in the sense where, you know, I had good veterans that weren't out to get me. And I don't, you know, I think, I like to think I was a, a good guy. So I wasn't really putting a target on my back by running my mouth or anything, but who knows, maybe <laughs> I might've been. Like, did, you see it? did you see it though? Where like maybe some guys and we don't, not into names, but did you ever see it in your career where certain guys, you know, kind of got picked on or, you know, weren't brought in and, and mm-hmm. do you think uh, collectively as a hawk, like if I'm going to be coaching kids, like, you know, I, I would be like, you know, and I'd be telling these guys in the Western league, you know, and I had Jim Thompson on the podcast recently and he touched on that. He touched on playing with Wayne Gretzky and like, how Wayne Gretzky would, and by the way, happy birthday, Wayne, you turned 60 the other day. Couldn't believe he's 60, but what a guy. And, uh, you know, it, he would, he mentioned about how Wayne would bring up, you know, the bottom, he called it bottom feeders. I don't like to use that term, but that's coming right from Jim's mouth, the fourth line guys or whatever. He would bring them up and make them feel just as important as, you know, Luke Robitaille or Yari Curry or whatever those guys. So, you know, if I'm a coach in, in what the Western league, that's something that I'm really paying attention to and something that I never used to think of, like, because you look at what that does to the culture of a room, right? Like if you can elevate every single player on your team and not make one or two guys feel isolated and don't get me wrong. Some guys deserve it. I'm not going to lie. There's idiots on, there's idiots on every team that you can't always do that to. But I, I feel like if there's a way that the the older group and the, the leadership group of whatever team it may be can make sure that everybody feels like on the same level, the team is going to have a lot more success. And I think that's really important. <laughs> yeah. I think it's making guys feel comfortable. And, you know, I think the hardest thing, if you're a veteran guy and maybe, a younger guys playing more than you, it's probably difficult. And, you know, I experienced that a little bit, but not too much. I was lucky I got to play a lot, um, you know, over, but as a 16 year old, I, you know, I, uh, I had to pay my dues. I was on the fourth line and all that fun stuff. And, you know, we, myself and Mike Dubinsky and Colin Cluche, we all, you know, we'd, we, we on a whistle, we'd hop off the bench and we do a quick lap and we get up and stretch just stupid stuff. But, um, yeah, I know, like, it's it, veteran leadership is big, and it's a culture thing, and, you know, the organization's a good organization. We talk about culture, and, you know, welcoming guys. Colorado was so great for that as a pro. And, you know, I think for the biggest thing is that, you know, when you're playing junior hockey, like we're talking, you know, way back in the day, whatever, you know, you got initiated, you got hazed, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, it wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst thing. Like, I lived through it, and I don't, I don't really need to talk about what we did, but – you know, you told jokes on the bus and if you know you yeah. got gonged, you got dead stripped down to your underwear and they tied all your clothes up and yeah in a ball and they put four of you in the in the bathroom and you couldn't come yeah. out until everyone was dressed. And the backup goalie, uh, I think it was Brian Elder or something, I don't know. He was standing on the sink and yeah, I was like yeah. he was just sweating. I like, guess it wasn't yeah. too bad. So I was lucky. Like I didn't have you know anything too too bad, but I think what happens is it's you know, it's the mentality of some guys are like, Well, I got rookied. 
the next guys are going to get it worse and they're going to get it. Like, whether, like I played with the guy and I'm, I don't want to say who, but it was like, they're, yeah, they're going to get it. They're, you know, and he's just waiting for it. And I was, you know, by the time I was captain and, you know, we did some things that were fun. Like, I mean, you know, they had to hold hands walking through the mall, like big deal. Everyone knew. And it was funny. It wasn't anything derogatory or demeaning. And so we did some fun things. And I think that's where, Things can get away in teams and you hear about hazing and stuff. And like Marcelo and some of these guys are coming out now. And he was like, well, I was one of the worst, but, you know, whatever. Well, you affected people's lives. You can't say, well, you know, I was bad, but now you got to judge everyone else. Well, you know, you did a lot of bad things for maybe a few years. I don't know. Like, I don't know personally, but I don't want to judge. But you can either, like I said, you can either say, well, the next group's going to get it because I got it. Or you can say, you know what, you know, I I don't want to do that. We can have some fun. We have a rookie party. and. You know, like you initiate them a little bit, but you know, not be like they're gonna get it because I got it. So that's I think where things, you know, junior and university or whatever and colleges where things get away is it the guys are like oh, I gotta get it. You know, you look at the NFL like there was that football player where he wasn't gonna carry the veterans pads and they're like okay, <laughs> fine. And then they got to the rookie party and I think it was a guy in Dallas. I don't know, it was years ago, but they're like fine, you don't have to. They got to the rookie party and well, they he got it because the bill was like fifty grand or something. So. There's ways that he can get you back. And so we had fun things even too, where we had a couple of kids that maybe didn't buy in and we do like the, we do the shaving cream in the gloves or the shoes. Of course. And yeah. we just, yeah. I think nothing bad. They actually made your hands smell better. Like I, I would do that myself once in a while because the gloves would smell so bad. Yeah. But, um, you know, just stuff like that. Then you go to the guy and say, listen, this can continue or it can stop. Like just buy in. It'll be, you know, a dickhead or whatever. So just little things like that. It's it's about the buy-in. It's about the culture. And, you know, it starts, it just doesn't start right away. It starts, you know, you look at organizations that have been good for years and, you know, they, they've, they're they good for years for a reason. You look at it's, uh, the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and yeah. you could you could bring in these guys that were maybe, you know, problem guys and they buy in because they want to win. And like, how, they, how come that didn't work in, you know, Dallas or Tampa or, you know, Cleveland or whatever. It's because, these guys know maybe it's their last chance, but they want to win. And you have that buy and you're like, okay, if you come in, you play, do your job, there's a good chance you can win. And that's your legacy. So that's how maybe how you get guys to buy in. So, you know, you look at stuff like that where it's a culture where it starts the, with the general manager, like Gary Lacroix in Colorado, where he was so, you know, we lost him this year and he was so classy and his wife and making the wives, feel, the, the girlfriends uh, feel welcome. And even the playoffs, like they, They'd send the, they'd send the wives and girlfriends flowers and you remove a flower for every win and just like you're a part of this you know like even though you're not playing you're a big part of this your support and everything so just stuff like that little things it's it yeah. develops the culture over the years yeah for sure that's that's really cool and I I've never heard that one I've never actually heard that one I never played in the NHL like that I've never heard of the flower thing that's really cool and I think it's important because you know it transcends into home life as well and uh, a lot of people don't mm-hmm. stop think about what the wives you know deal with when guys are on the road and um practice and they got a nap and uh kids and and different things but uh you you always mention colorado like you know you obviously you you won the stanley cup there and the guys on that team are phenomenal and actually i want to give a shout out to kyle quincy Uh, he's in charge of their alumni he's become a close friend of mine he's actually doing really something really cool for puck support i'm going to be announcing it probably in about a month um, it's a one thing I'm really bad at keeping secrets. Everybody knows that, but, um, like when it comes to things that I'm excited about, 
you know, and but it's really cool. So the Colorado Avalanche alumni is actually doing something nice for us. Kyle Quincy's taking care of that, which is really cool. But, uh, you know, what a great organization, you know, like you guys top to bottom, that team is like unreal. Maybe one of the best teams assembled. Like if I look at it, I know there's other people can disagree or agree with me, but I mean, it's up there. And with the amount the guys on that team, what was the culture like in that room? And and who was the real leader? I mean, I could take a guess, but who was the real leader out of all those guys? If you're talking work, Sackick, Forsberg, like who is there one or did they do it collectively? Um. Well, I think everybody, like everyone led in different ways. And like Joe was the leader, uh, but he was a quiet leader. And he would work out in the gym. Like It was crazy because I'd be there two hours before practice. I'd work out and us third and fourth line guys and Dan Ino and guys like that. You know, we'd work out. Joe would come in and he'd do his cleans and he'd do his pull-ups and his bench or whatever. And he'd get dressed in like 10 minutes, five minutes. It was crazy. <laughs> he like, I'd already be downstairs. Like it takes me like a half an hour. Like I'm just brutally slow. <laughs> And Sachs would come down and like literally like, get a zipper, like seven minutes, like five, seven minutes. He's fully dressed. He'd get on the ice like two minutes before. Like he didn't go out early because he didn't need to, right? And, uh, but he'd work, he'd do the, he'd do the work in the, uh, in the locker or in the, you know, in the gym or whatever. And after practice, he would do, he'd take shots, he'd take his one timers and he'd get off the ice, but he also played a lot. So, you know, he was a guy that, um, led by example. As did a lot of the guys, you know, Ray Bork was a professional, but I'm just using Joe as an example because he was captain. And, you know, Adam Foote was more the uh, the vocal guy and would chirp guys, and, you know, the, he was more of the sheriff, I guess, maybe would be the best way to put it. But, uh, yeah, Joe was just a quiet leader, and he led by example, and he was, you know, like he his VO2 was ridiculous. Like uh, every year he could ride, and like he'd blow like a, I think it was like a 64 or 66 or something, just – Phenomenal. So, like how, much, how, of, elevation. how much did the elevation from being Colorado actually help? I've never, I've never asked anyone this, and I remember hearing about it. You guys have to be up there. You're up in the elevation. When you go to other rinks, did you notice it, or is that kind of a myth? <clears throat> um, I think maybe a little bit. I, I it's, I don't know. I don't. Maybe <laughs> I don't think so. I, uh, I didn't play enough to be honest with you, but um. I know when you went on the road and you came back, the first practice back, oh, my God. <laughs> it was like yeah. it was like you're breathing into a paper bag and your lungs were burning. So um, I just remember if you had beers at all, it was the worst hangover in Colorado because it was so, like, the elevation and it dehydrated. So you could have, like, three, four beers, and the next day it felt like you spent the night in a zoo, like, off the crap in your mouth and elephant and stepped on your eyes. So, you know, like, you only had, like, three, four beers and you had the worst headache ever. So, yeah, I don't – I think it was a bit of – a bit of an advantage, but I remember when I first camped there, first or second camp, we did in like Fort Collins or so we were like 7,500 feet above sea level. And I just remember like uh, we're doing these skating drills. I was, I trained hard. And I was in good shape, but it was just, oh, it was brutal because Bob, Bob, like hardly liked to skate us. And I remember Sean Bodine, he was a guy that, you know, liked to have beers and stuff, but he was always in really good shape. And I just remember him. He was like pushing me with his stick. He was pushing me in the ass, and he was like, oh, "Keep going, keep going, kid. Come on, you know." And then we became really good friends, and you know, I just remember stuff like that. So there's a veteran guy. I was like, "Come on, keep going, keep going," and nice. so just stuff like that. So yeah, I think it helped a little bit, but um, I don't know, not as much for me, maybe. <laughs> hey, man, you you won two cups. You won two cups. Um, what about getting traded? Like, what was that experience like for you? I know, like you know, it can be good or bad did like what's that feeling like when you get traded having would do did you have a white 
time when kids at the time ever when you were traded? Uh, I know your kids were maybe really young at the time or not even born, but what was that experience like and in, in coming into a new room? Like I, I've heard some nightmare stories where guys just are you know, not fitting in. And I look at a guy like Patrick Laine now, he's going to play for John Tortorella. And I, I'm like, I don't know how that's going to work for him, but I really hope it all works out for him. But, you know, what was that experience like being traded, you know, from, from a team that you're, you're just so happy on, and then you gotta, you gotta move again. Well, I got traded so many times that each time was different, but um, like, so for Calgary, for example, the guys that drafted me, Doug Brown, Tom Thompson, the head scout, they were gone. So I played a year in the show and Brian Sutter gave me a chance. And the next year, you know, it was basically decided like we traded, I think we traded Jared Titoff for uh, David Roach and Ken Reagan. Ken Reagan got hurt in camp and David Roach. There wasn't much of a difference between the two of us. I like to think I was a much better skater, but I wasn't a great skater, but who knows? Anyways, uh, I get sent down and I'm in St. John and I'm on making, I'm, I'm on a one-way contract. I had a clause in my contract that if I played 70 games, it became a one-way. So uh, I'm making like four and a quarter in St. John. And at the time, this was what, 98, I think. And like, people don't remember, like there's a lot of Canadian teams that were in the, like they were in danger. They were losing money because the Canadian dollar wasn't as high stuff. And, you know, I remember being down there and one of their scouts came down. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, I just said to him, like, what are you doing? He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, like, you guys are complaining that, you know, you're losing money and, you know, this and that. And, and you know, they, they were going through an ownership change and stuff. And I'm like, I'm making four and a quarter down here. Like, what do you, how does that make sense? And so I ended up getting traded. I was in the flurry deal. So I was actually, you know, excited about that because it was time to move on. And, you know, my, I guess my ship had kind of sailed there, I guess would be the best way to put it. So when going to Colorado was great. I went to Hershey and uh, and uh, you know went to the to to Colorado and you know Hershey was great. Mike Foligno, as we talked about the last time, he was awesome yeah. and Jay Wells and you know I got called up and then uh, you know I make the team the next year and you know they're up, right up front like there's showed Lisa there's a spot for you. We need a physical guy, you know if you want to fill that role. You know they had Scott Parker, Jeff Hodges was there and he was gone. Or no, sorry, he was still there. Parker was a you know first round draft pick, so I actually made the team. Just got Parker the first year, and then Jeff moved on, and uh, and then Parks he came up, and but uh, like guys were great. Like Adam Foot, like I mentioned, like he just verbally abused me, chirped me all the time, and but like when uh, like so my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she would live at home and go to school for half the year, and then come live with me. And so he had his girl, he had his wife uh, Jen pick uh, pick my wife up uh, and the game, so. Like they were really good. Like Colorado, those guys were awesome. Footy was great. All the guys, and as I mentioned, Pody and Stefan. There's Stefan Yell. So many guys. Yeah, like it was really good. And um, you know, getting traded from there it was uh, it was in the summer. It was the second day of the draft, and <clears throat> I was out Saturday night with friends, and I wake up and I got 14 messages. So I was like, Hey, what happened? And a buddy of mine, uh, his second round pick, the Buffalo. He's like, Oh, I don't know if I get traded. And I said, All oh, same, kind of joking. And then. You know, I wake up and I got 14 messages and it's, hey, it's my agent. <laughs> you know, hey, it's uh, Pierre Lacroix. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, so it, uh, and then Ron Francis left me a message. Welcome. to. So I got traded to Carolina. So that was a bit of a shock and kind of saddening. But, you know, I had an opportunity to play more because, uh, you know, possibly move up in line. I'll be a four-flying guy. And so then I went to Carolina and. You know, I was experienced. It was good. I was in really good shape, and I uh, I pulled my groin in camp. And then Paul Maurice was a coach, and um, you know, he's like, you know, I'm gonna lose your slot. You know, they'll just get healthy. And 
So I did, and I came back, and I'm playing on the fourth line, and I'm playing, like, six minutes. And, you know, in the finals the year before, Colorado was playing, like, eight or ten minutes. <clears throat> and I wasn't playing a shift in the third period. So, you know, I was talking to Paul about – and then my agent, but I was talking to him, like, hey, you know, I want to play more. Like, I, like we're in November or December. I can't play shift in the third period. And I was playing, you know, it's a regular shift in the Stanley Cup finals. So, that was, you know, that was whatever, the injury and stuff. So, uh, I ended up getting traded to Tampa. And, you know, I wanted to get out of Carolina because I looked at it where, you know, I just had all the success in the finals. I had two assists and played a regular shift. And I felt like I was wasting my time in Carolina and I'm playing five minutes a night. And, you know, I thought I could play more. And you know, I looked around the league this year, was playing some pretty good minutes, you know, like 10 to 12. And some other guys like that. And George The Rock was having success in Edmonton. And so I looked at that. And then so I got traded to Tampa and, I get traded. I was on the road, so uh, I think we were in Chicago or something. And so I get traded to Tampa, and Tampa, it's like 90 degrees. So <laughs> it was like March or April or something. And all I have is a suit and like two pairs of underwear. So it was a welcome trade. And <clears throat> I go to Tampa, and the guys and I, Marty St. Louis, we played together in the minors, and he was in Tampa. And he was hurt yeah. at the time. I think he broke his he had an ankle. I think he broke his ankle or something like that. So, and his wife had her. So we knew each other from from the Calgary days in St. John. So, you know, he picked us yeah. up, picked, you know, my wife and I from the hotel and so we'd hang out and stuff. And uh, so that was good. Uh, that was a welcome change. And that was crazy too, because we had like 10, 12 guys that were hurt, like Freddie Modine, Tim Taylor, like everybody was hurt. It got to the point where they were literally calling up guys from the East coast. They get like literally like, and they, there's this one guy that came up and he was like talking just, yeah, I need this and I need that. And the guy looked at him like, are you kidding me? Just be happy you're here. Like, oh no. <laughs> Like you came from the East Coast, and nothing against the East Coast, but to make the jump from the East Coast to the NHL is quite a sizable leap. And there's, I don't know how many guys actually do it. There's a reason why you have an American Hockey League team. So uh, that was a good experience too, as well. And then uh, you know, I was pretty much it as far as as far as trades go. And then I got sent down over uh, year after the lockout. I got sent down over Christmas and New Year's, which was you know pretty difficult, um, just because you know maybe you're done. And I went down to Springfield and. Had a great experience, and uh, they were actually worried <clears throat> that you know I was going to have a bad attitude, and you know whatever. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that because I was still, like Nolan Pratt's brother Harlem. He was actually playing in Springfield. He was excited that I was going down there, and there were other guys. Um, so like I wanted to go down there with a good attitude, and um, you know represent my well, my myself well, even though like guys know yeah. you're disappointed, and you know you never know what can happen. I went down, had a good attitude, and. You know, I played some good. I started on the third line down there, and I think the first game was against Albany, and I uh, I lined up against Alexander McGillney. So this is what's <laughs> crazy. So, you know, we had the lockout because everyone's losing money, and the owners and guys are making too much money. Well, <clears throat> my first game is Albany against the Albany River Rats, which is New Jersey's farm team at the time. Yeah. And I lined up against Alexander McGillney. And on defense, they had uh, Dan McGillis, and then uh, one, the, not Brad Ferentz, but Andrew. You know, no, Brad yeah. Ferentz, not Sorry, yeah. not Andrew, Brad. The taller one. So he's making eight fifty. Ferentz is making eight fifty. McGillis is making two point five. McGillis <laughs> making seven point five or eight million dollars. And I'm like, and I'm like, everyone's losing money. Like the owners are losing money. And they, I line up against Alexander McGillis. I'm like, how much fun are you having right now? He's like, what? Like what? And I'm like, how much fun are you having right now? He's like, uh, busy and whatever. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like, I'm lining up against Alexander McGillis. So. In the American Hockey League, you know, the guy scored 76 goals. And only because New Jersey was over the cap, so they had to send guys down to get under the cap. So uh, it was just like that was a crazy experience in itself. And so anyways, just 
start on the third line and uh, just work hard. And then uh, Jeff Reese, the goalie coach at the time for the Lightning, Reese was a great guy. He came down and so I was like, hey, Reese, are we going to go for a beer? And he was like, sure. So we ended up, and our coach was Dirk Graham, and Dirk was a great guy too. And yes. I remember mm-hmm. we're, we're, in the, uh, we're in the weight room before practice, and there's him riding the bike <clears throat> before practice. And I, like, I like walked in. I was like, hi, coach. How's it going? He's like, oh, hey, Dinger. And I'm like, where is everybody? He's like, I don't know. My kids, he's like, now the young guys are in the gym. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, like how are you going to get to the next level? And so even being down there, <clears throat> I tried to like, be a good example for guys and telling guys, like, like Nick Tarnaski ended up playing for you. Like, you know, he had a pretty good career. And I remember saying to Tarno, like, if you're good on faceoffs, you can kill penalties and, you're, and you'll hit. And if you're willing to fight, like, you can play. You can get up there. You can start as a four-flying guy and maybe work your way up. And then Tarno did. And he yeah. fought with anybody. He was a tough guy. Yeah. So, yeah, he was. you know, it was great to see guys like that. I was like, work on your faceoffs and stuff. So, you know, and then anyway, so Reeser came down and uh, I had a really good weekend and uh, three games. And. He went back up and he talked to Torts, everybody, and Torts asked him who was playing well. And he said, well, actually, you know, like in, in, in Tampa, guys called me, or Colorado guys called me Dish. He said, well, actually, Dish was probably the best player. And Torts was like, oh. So I ended up getting called up. So I thought my career was done. And I got called up. My first game was uh, Hockey Night Canada uh, wow. against Toronto. So I got to do the interview. I'd be back. And, I, you know, like I kind of hang up. I hold, I held on to be honest with you. I threw a couple and just didn't want to get smoked <laughs> fighting Beeler because Beeler was tough. But I got to do the interview and I got the towel and still have the towel. So it's pretty neat. I like guess, you know, it was a good experience that you don't quit and, you know, you never know what can happen. So I got to play and, you know, play in the playoffs and uh, finish the season up there. And then, you know, I didn't play after that. But, you know, I thought I was done and I'm sure a lot of people thought I was done, but I found a way to uh, get back up at the show. So it's, I don't, know. I don't know if it's like a courageous story of perseverance, but no, it is, you, know, you, just, you just never know. Like, so uh, going back to my kids or anyone else or any young kids or anyone that wants to play is that you just work hard every day and you work hard and try and make yourself a better person, a better player. And like, you never know when that opportunity will happen. And it's crazy. You've seen guys over the years where you're like, who's that guy? And all of a sudden he gets a chance and he plays and then there's guys that maybe have more talent that don't play and you just never know. So you just gotta just go out and work and have a good attitude. Yeah, and that's a that's actually a great story, man. And and don't don't minimize it at all because a lot of guys, like you said, would would be so down and out. They'd go down to the A, they'd be be complaining, and and it would just be a nightmare for them. I've I've talked to many that that have gone through similar things. Uh, you did once you uh, you know uh, left the I mean you left North America. You did play a, a a season overseas. What was that like? You were in Denmark, were you not? <clears throat> Uh, well, I actually played two. I played one in Sweden and one in Denmark. <clears throat> um, it was good. It was fun. It was, uh, I, I didn't like Denmark as much. Sweden was just cause Sweden, um, it was more, how do I say it properly? It was more like North America where the team I was on, like he'd been in the top league for like 50 years or so however many years and they just got relegated to the second division or the Elsvenska it was called. So there was all this pressure. So I went over there just to have fun. And then, so I didn't know this, but at the time, the uh, the paid out. Oh, there we go. We're losing you. Back here. There we go. Yeah, sorry. I was getting a get work call there. Sorry about that. Don't so, worry. Um, anyways, um, so I didn't know this at the time, but the fan club paid half my salary. And wow. that wasn't making a ton of money or whatever, but I guess they'd raise money or something. And, and it was actually, it was, uh, it was a, uh, 
Sorry about that. No worries, man. So it's trying to go over pretty badly, I guess. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> they so actually, a teammate of mine, Stan Netchcash, had played there, and he got me the deal. And so I went over, and you know, I thought I was going to have fun. I was still going to work hard. And, and then it was like, no pressure, but uh, you know, fan club paid half your salary. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I've worked hard anyways, but there yeah. was all this pressure, and uh, which was great too. So we ended up playing and winning, and it was good. It was uh, it was a good experience. Like you said, uh, you know, it was fun, and we ended up, you know, they we won the relegation round, and the team ended up going back up. And the best part about it was uh, at the fan club there. Like so, you're on the ice. So every time I was on the ice, they chant, they go, "Come on, Dingman!" and clap. And I was like, "This is great." Like I didn't even do anything. I just stepped on the ice, and they're like, "Come on, Dingman!" And I was like. Woo. And they'd go to all the road games and and they had their little section and they cheer the whole time and it was so it was awesome like in that sense and I got in one fight when I was over there and and it was like the GM would tell me he's like he'd say you know like Swedish guys not that tough just tell him you're gonna kill him and warm up but I'm like I'm not gonna skate around and warm up and tell a guy I'm gonna take his head off and like he's like so he's telling me to do this this one time I said to this guy I was like hey you have to be up he's like what and I said keep your head up you know, take your head off. The guy's like, why? I didn't do anything. And he's like, so earnest about it. I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm threatening <laughs> Swedish guys for no reason. And like, you could play hard and you know, whatever. But like, gee, like what are we doing here? So, um, anyways, it was, it was a good experience. And I, I got into one fight and this kid, like cross checked me. I turned around and I pushed him and he just he cold caught me and he hit me pretty good. And I was like, Ooh, kind of stunned me for a second. I dropped my gloves. And I grabbed him. I hit him with like two or three, he didn't realize what was going on. He didn't realize guys dropped their gloves, I guess, maybe, because he kept his gloves on and with two or three and dropped them. I was, like, mad. And then the guy, there's a couple other guys standing around. And, and I was, like, you want some? Do you want some? Skate around. And they're, like, oh, no, I don't want any, whatever. And Stan loved it and whatever. So it was my one Swedish fight. But That's I there, was, awesome. there was one other time where there was, a, there was, like, a scuffle on the ice, and I played at the center with Cali Steen. And he was a good guy. He was a good player, like, in – so this guy's pushing him and like, you know, give him a face wash and stuff uh, after the whistle. So I come over and grab him. And I'm like, what are you doing? You touch him, I'm going to rip your head off. And the guy's like, this isn't between you. It's just between me and him. I said, well, it's between us now. And he was like, no, no, no. And I'm like, yeah. Because it was, I guess it was different. Like the two guys would just whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. You touch him or you're going to deal with me. And he was like, oh, no, no. It's between me and him. I'm like, nope, not anymore. So I guess there were some differences between the games. But I like, again, like it was fun. It was a great experience. But. Like, I wasn't going to be over, like, threatening guys. Like, yo, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your head off. I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? So it was a great experience. Like, it was it was really neat. It was a beautiful town. It was a beautiful town, and we go into Stockholm. And <clears throat> so it was great. It was a good experience. And Denmark was good, too. It was just – it rained, like, every day. And it was windy. And, oh, my God, yeah, it's brutal. So, yeah, it was a uh, little, little depressing in that sense. But it was uh, – there were some great guys I played with, so uh, there, too, as well. So it was awesome. Yeah, what about uh, – those are awesome. Thanks for sharing those stories. Uh, we got a couple comments coming in too. I'll get to those in a minute. But uh, what about when you shut her down? Like how was that for you? Um, I know we touched on it a little bit, but like, you know, making that decision and also making the decision to go over to Europe, um, that's a big one because when you make that decision, you're essentially done over here. I know you did it a little later on in your career, but what about these guys that hang on? hang on in the American league and the coast when they could go over to Europe and, and, you know, play less games, make more money essentially if they're good. And, you know, it's, you know, they don't want to give up on that dream. Like, what do you say to those guys? Like, is there a time you think when, <clears throat> when, 
when you should know when when you should just go chase your dream overseas and, and shut down the North America dream? Like, or what do you say about it? Like, what's your opinion on that? Uh, play as long as you can, because you'll never make the money uh, playing if you're in the right situation. If you're in a good league in Europe, you're going to make, you know, you're paying euros or whatever, uh, whatever, you're going to make good money and you're going to have an apartment paid for and a car and stuff. So, um, I mean, everyone's different. Every guy's different. Our thing for me is I, you know, I was the first round pick but in the NHL as a fighter and I remember going over to Sweden and the GM was like, well, you're actually a pretty good skater. You know, like, you know, he thought I was just a plug. He's basically like this fighter. And he's like, well, you got skill in us. Well, yeah, like, but I, to play in the NHL, I wasn't allowed to do these things. And, you know, I was a good player a long time ago. And so it was, it was actually harder for me to get a job, say, than, you know, a guy who was a scorer in the American League. Or I see these guys were signing that were scoring a ton of goals in the East Coast. And I was saying, well, what if I played in the East Coast? Like, maybe I could have scored 40 or something. I don't know. So, you know, every guy's different. And, like, the American Hockey League was so great where you had those veteran guys that played pretty much their maybe their entire career, uh, you know, a bunch of years in the American Hockey League, but they made good salaries too. There's a bunch of guys over the years that could make 150, 200 and be a veteran guy and, you know, be a leader for the younger guys. So, like, every guy's situation is different. But, you know, for me, I'd played the two years and I had young kids and my wife came over the second time at Christmas with my son and they had that – there was this – there was a flu, a stomach flu going through Europe and they got it. And so they landed over Christmas and basically were just sick for two or three days. And we in Denmark, we didn't practice till five, which was just brutal because you just yeah. all day, went for lunch and it was just, it was tough for her. So I had a chance to play in Italy and another John Tucker <clears throat> had a deal for me and it was for okay money. Like, but I would have been playing just to play. And I guess it wasn't really fair to my wife and, you know, my son to go live in an apartment or whatever. So, you know, I just decided it was time to move on, try and do something else. So I tried to get, you know, I started doing stuff with the lightning. I was lucky, uh, you know, Bill Wick could help me all that. So, um, yeah, every guy's different. And, you know, could I play longer? Probably, maybe. I don't know. I just, you know, Europe's great for some guys, depending on it. all depends on the league and the person. And, you know, I know of guys who played in Germany and for years and loved it. And you have 10 imports and, but Swedish guys are awesome. Like, uh, again, it's every situation's different. Every guy's different. And it's just, you try, like, I just tried to play as long as I could just because, um, you know, you're not going to, it's very hard to make that. If you're making 200 grand or 400 or whatever, million, like the guys that are making millions, it's very difficult to make that, uh, doing a regular job. So just try and make as much money, I guess, as you can, while you can and save, and then try and figure out, uh, what you're going to do after, which is probably, the hardest thing, yeah, for a lot of guys, even for me, is like, what are you going to do now? What do you do? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I was lucky I got into broadcasting a little bit and I was doing some stuff with lighting, but it's still difficult. It's a difficult transition where, you know, you go from just having the guys and skating and going to the rink and having that routine where you don't have that anymore. So that's probably the most difficult part in transition, I would say. Yeah. And oh, well, I want to get to a question by my, my buddy Adam's watching. He wants to, he has a question for you coming up, but um, what do you, what did you go into after, you know, you were working with the lightning? Like, how did you make that step? What, what was next for you? Like, like what were, what were your options and uh, what are you doing now for work? And you know, how is it like compared to playing hockey? Do you still think and be like, man, like this isn't hockey, you know, like, but what do you do for work? What is it exactly you're in? <laughs> Um, so now I sell gloves for Stell Gloves. So my brother-in-law started the company and I was part of moving back. He was doing all well, he'd help. So 
you know, for other reasons too, we came back and uh, to help out. So I sell gloves and, you know, that's good because there's so many guys I played with or against that are in oil and gas and construction and you name it and have been super helpful with me and like, just, Hey, go talk to this guy or in this town, go talk to this guy or go talk to that guy. So, you know, I sell, yeah, I sell gloves now. And, uh, like for me, when I was done, I reached out to Bill Wicked, who just, it was just announced he's going to Nashville, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and he was great. He was a VP of communications or still is with the lighting for now, uh, until his transition to Nashville. And I just reached out to him and said, Hey, can I do something? And he's like, are you done? Are you thinking of retiring? And I said, yeah, I think I'm done. So he said, okay. So I just started doing anything. I was doing season ticket renewals. I was doing a radio show once a week and, you know, I was just whatever, whatever I could do. And it was funny. He said, well, I can't pay you. He's like, how about concert tickets? You like going to shows? I was like, oh, sure. So I got paid in concert tickets. So I get like four tickets. I went to every show, like Metallica. Like, he's, like, awesome. oh, Metallica. he's like, Metallica doesn't do concerts. I had paid for those, but I was like fourth row. But I went to like every concert, Iron Maiden, Lady Gaga, you know, you name it. Like I went to every concert, so Bon Jovi and stuff like that. So uh, it was good in that sense. And he really helped me. And then he got me on air. Uh, on the broadcast, my first year, I had 12 games and 24 in this had more yeah. and more. So, you know, having a guy like him, he was so helpful with me, just getting me going, I guess, basically. So, yeah, it's difficult like, to figure out what, like, what do I do now? And a lot of, some guys have a plan, what they want to do. Other guys don't. And that's the hardest thing when people go, oh, it's busy playing hockey and how hard is it? Well, yeah, you're playing a game and it's, it's fun and you can make, you can make good money, but you also have to pay your dues. You got to move away from home, but most likely when you're younger and the difference between a hockey player and athlete and regular, not regular people, but people that, you know, say go to college and have a career job is that, you know, we're done at 30 or you're lucky if you're 35, 40, you know, everyone else is getting out of school at say 24, 25, and then they're working for, you know, however many years. So, you know, you as an athlete, you got to figure out what you want to do the rest of your life without maybe thinking about it too much. And, you know, it's be daunting at times and it can be. He's like, Hey, what do I do now? Like, you know, hopefully you saved enough money and I, you know, I had a good investment guy and, you know, I just live pretty uh, normally, I guess I wasn't, you know, didn't spend, I just had a regular house and a regular car. I finally got a Porsche my like later in my career. That was like my big, whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah, it's, it's just, you don't know, you just hopefully have guys will help you out and reach out. And so, like, you know, hope there's more programs now with the NHLPA and stuff. And, like, they have the, the workshops and different things you can do. But, yeah, that's the, the hardest thing is just, okay, what do I do now? Like, I'm lucky I have a great wife, very supportive, and, you know, a good family. So, like, that's super helpful. Yeah, and it, that kind of, that's great. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about your kids and never know who's watching, right? Because you never know where these connections are going to come later on, you know, like from anywhere. And I would say to all the kids uh, out there too is, you know, even you're playing against another team, no matter at what level, you don't know if that coach might be moving up to another league, the coach you're playing against or or whatever, somebody in the stands that knows somebody that can give you a chance. So I think it's always very important to go back to knowing that you're always representing yourself, your family, your last name, uh, and your community and your team. And I think that's a, a great point. I have a couple of questions coming in, uh, comments. My friend Adam would like to hear about your first NHL goal and what that experience was like. Uh, did it come sooner than, than you thought, later than you thought? Were you thinking about it too much uh, at all? And what did it feel like uh, when he finally popped that first one? It was great. I went end to end and dangled three guys. Uh, no, not even close. I think it was a back end. 
there's a greasy back in an old Vaseline puck that's uh, snuck in. I think I'm pretty sure it was on Patrick Wall, but I could be wrong. I think it was like the second game of the season. And then I scored like the sixth game of the season. So I last time I was on, I was like, I might score 30 or 40. Like, um, and I <laughs> didn't score for three months. So <laughs> and I ended up with three goals, but whatever. Uh, but it was great. It's just, you don't know what to do. Like, it's just, it's awesome. It's a dream, you know, to be able to play and then to be able to score <clears throat> was just, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Do you still cool. have that puck? Do you still have the puck? Yep. Nice. That's cool. I like that. Uh, lots of jerseys and different things. Do you have a shrine in your house? Like, do you have a, a section, a, a collection of memorabilia? Were you a guy that collected things along the way? Um, you know, do you have stuff from other guys? Were you collecting along the way? Were you one of those guys? Yeah, not initially. Uh, like when I first started, you think you're going to play forever. And um, <clears throat> so I wasn't really, I don't know, a collector, I guess, per se or anything. And then um, when I went to Colorado, that's when um, I really started to like, okay. Cause we had another, we had a great, this guy, Hayne Ellis, he was one of the uh, PR guys. He's like, let me know if you need anything. He's a great guy. I was like, so I get jerseys. So I started to get jerseys signed because I'm looking around going, I'm never going to play with the team like this again. So, you know, I have a Bork jersey. I have a Wad jersey. I have signed sticks. And I had the team signed. And then when we won, I had uh, both times I won, I had the whole team signed the jersey I wore that game. So, nice. yeah, just stuff like that. So I uh, started to, you know, Jerome McGinley got a stick for me. And then in Tampa, I, you know, got some sticks. So most of my stuff was from Colorado, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, but I don't have a shrine or anything. I have jerseys. I have a rack and I still haven't hung all my pictures and stuff in my basement. So uh, <laughs> it's been yeah. going on two years now. So I, we're, we're getting there. It was supposed to be my yeah. man cave, but my kids play Xbox down there. So well, it sounds like table. Yeah. Xbox down there too. So it's you know, not enough. Yeah. Not enough. I was, uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I'm going to get to a couple comments that have been coming in uh, way, I mean, a while ago. Um, Sandra was saying, mentioned hollaback girls like snapback guys. Uh, Rosalie McKenzie says, I'm here. Uh, Sandra says, I love the puck sport team. She's our executive director of mental health and addiction um, works a lot with the OHL and CAA and one of my close personal friends. Now, thank you, Sandra, for all you do for us. Um, Adam was saying this should be another great one. He also said, Hey, Brady and Chris, uh, got another one coming in from Matthew Meinzer says, thanks guys. Great conversation. Much appreciated from hockey town, South America, somewhere down in Argentina. So that's kind of cool. Uh, hello, Matthew, uh, Tobias Lindbergh says, ha ha ha. Awesome content here. Uh, ben Oliver was throwing up some laughing faces. That was when you were talking about the Swedish guys and saying you were going to kill them, I think. Um, Adam, yeah, he said, can you tell us about your first NHL goal? We got to that. And Tobias back again says, this is great, Brady, hearing from your all-time favorites, how their careers were and how they see it is awesome. Both Dingman and Scott Thornton were some of my favorite players growing up. I've had Scott on the podcast as well. Uh, great guy. Adam was saying thanks for sharing that story. Um Here's another one. Uh, which enforcer did Dinger fear the most? All of them. <laughs> no, I uh, I have a top three, and it's uh, Prober, Grimson, and George LaRock. So Prober was scary. Grimson was scary. Uh, Stu hit me with one in the ear, and I felt like I had water in my ear. Like, I was going to the penalty box. I was like... Yeah, like two days it felt like that. So, yeah, I, I have a top three. Those guys were 
Yeah. We covered sure. that on the last yeah. one. We covered that on the last one, but you know, I just in case Tobias didn't see it, he wanted to ask that. And then Rosalie says so many great questions. I think there's a few more questions that aren't coming up, but that's cool. Dinger, do you got to get back to work or what's going on? You got? Yeah, I got to. Unfortunately, I got to go deliver some gloves. That's why my I'm getting the phone calls and they're interrupting with your podcast. I'm getting no man, no, no man. I appreciate you doing this in the middle of your work day and stuff. And uh, you know, listen, you're a welcome guest on this show anytime. Uh, in the near future, I'd like to send you out uh, like a puck support hat or a shirt, whatever, because uh, we do. You mentioned, you know, Pro B and Wade Belak, and you know, not on this one, but every single uh, item that goes out uh, has a guy or girl that we've lost, like hidden, like in here. Um, this hat I just grabbed out of the box, so it doesn't have it one in there. I literally just put it on, but you know, we have even in our hats. So Probert's on there, yeah, Belax in there, Rippin, Bugard, right from the NHL guys. And I've all dinger, I've also uncovered, you know, some females that have committed suicide that played, you know, NCAA and another girl goalie out of UBC. And then honestly, this guy here, Chad Miller, was a junior A hockey player that died of a heroin overdose during the season. Um, terribly sad stuff. And there's just so many. I think we have like 30 plus names in our database, and it's unfortunately growing all the time. So I'd love to send you out, you know, something with Proby and Belak in there because you fought, you know, you were scared of both those. I'm not scared of, but fear you you oh, mentioned them. Let's say, let's say you mentioned them. I'm not gonna say you were scared of them, but uh, you know, get back to work. Go sell some gloves. And like I said, man, I appreciate it. It's been a, a great pleasure for me to getting to do this twice, man, because people that watched the first one, they know, like, I can't tell you the Dingman legacy, especially in Swift Current. I couldn't believe it. Uh, everything was Dingman. I had a car, the gold Dingman, for people that didn't hear it. Uh, Mike Hangan had a truck, the white Dingman. Uh, I'm not kidding, man. We overused it. It was everything. So really cool that you did this, man. It was honestly a dream come true for me uh, and all the guys that I played with that know about it. They were laughing, having a good laugh, and um, they checked it out. So thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it, and we'll be in contact, and we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, no problem, bud. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks, Singer. Awesome stuff. We let them go. People got to work. People have to make money. They got to work. Pretty awesome. Thank you guys for all the comments and questions. We're going to get to a giveaway here real quick. Um, I still haven't even figured out how we're going to do it. If anybody knows me, I buy the seat of my pants quite a bit and I'm just like, eh. I make stuff up as I go. Uh, so let's do this. Um, we'll, we'll circle back to, we'll circle back to a couple of things that Dinger talked about. Uh, we'll give away two or three shirts, Mitch Marner shirts. Don't worry, it won't be game worn. It won't be game worn. Um, so anybody that wants to win a shirt, Call my cell phone right now and tell me what video game Chris Dingman and his sons play. My cell phone number, 705-205-5123. If you want to win, we'll see if anybody calls. What game did Dinger and his kid play? Um, we'll see if anybody even wants to win. If not, we will uh, We'll give them away another another time we'll let that sit for a bit I'll put it across 
I'll put it across the screen. There's my phone number. If you know what what video game Chris Dingman and his sons play, call my cell phone right now. The number's on the screen. But before we go to, I want, really want to say thank you again to everybody that has supported me over this past year. Sure, Adam, you can just send a message. Throw up a comment. You don't want to call? Throw up a comment right now. What video game? Let's do it that way. I don't even think my phone's hooked up again. So we'll give away a couple shirts. Hey, if one person sent, puts it up, we'll, uh, we'll give away one shirt. If, and maybe he'll get two. So I know there's a bunch of people watching right now, but Adam, go ahead. Throw it up in the comments. There you go, Adam. You win here. Congratulations, Adam Running. Send me your address. I think I have it on the puck support file. Um, I'm going to peel off this Marner shirt for a sec, guys. Bear with me for a minute. Whoa, I'm getting naked on camera. Holy cow. What do you guys think of this shirt? How badass is this shirt? Seriously. Thank you to the Probert family. I'm not giving this one away. If you guys want to... Oh, I'm getting a, a call, but we did it already. So, um, Alicia, there you go. You win one too. Alicia, which is great because Alicia, I'm sending out your thank you for buying Puck Support. Alicia is a Puck Support supporter. Um, so I can send it in your package. It saves me on shipping because shipping is crazy. We're going to work with a new partner, though, too. We're trying to get our shipping rates down, guys. Um, if you want to uh, win this at auction, stay tuned. I'm going to have details coming up very, very soon. You're going to have to go to PuckSupport.com. We're going to have the auction up on PuckSupport.com. Somehow, somewhere, I'll figure that out. This is a signed and Kate. You're a little late. See that how I rhymed that? Signed by Bob Probert and Joey Kosher. You cannot get this replicated anywhere, of course, because Big Bob is no longer with us, but he's with us every single day. Every single day I'm going to get emotional because him along with so many others have lost their lives and lived rough lives and... Uh, I often think that it should have been me. It should have been me. Um, I talk about it all the time, guys. And I'm, like, you know, it's, there's just no, I don't understand. And I, I know I repeat myself all the time, but, you know, I think about Chad Miller. Shout out to, uh, to Aaron Miller, who's been on the show. His mom's been on my show. And it was a pretty intense episode, but can you blame her? The story is so harsh. Chad Miller, rest in peace, buddy. I'm going to start doing a new feature. I'm going to start doing a new feature on the podcast uh, very soon where I'm going to remember uh, one of these individuals on my podcast as well. I'll do a little profile about them. We'll share some information about them, their families, where they grew up, um, so that every individual that we've lost to suicide and uh, battles with addiction, they're remembered the right way. 
And I'll tell you why, if you don't know why I'm doing this, it's because I think to myself all the time, what if, what if I would have died in one of my overdoses? What if I was successful on one of my suicide attempts? You know, I would have been remembered as Brady Liebold, the junkie, um, the criminal. Nobody would have remembered. Like, sure, they would have been like, yeah, he played hockey, but holy cow, you know, he was not the hockey player. He was, that guy was not a good person. And, you know, I did some bad things, but I was always a good person. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that more in my book about the type of guy I was when I was in addiction. I know I did some bad things to support my addiction, but I supported a lot of people's addictions when I was homeless. I was the type of guy that would, you know, walk down the street and just pass drugs out. And I'm not saying that it's not good because it's not helping the solution. But, you know, when I was on Hastings, I'd see all these people hurting and uh, going through withdrawal. And I would have, you know, I would give all my stuff away. You know, I would, whatever I had, it was a drugs, clothes, food. If I had anything and I saw anybody that needed it, I would give it. I was never selfish uh, in a sense like that. Um, but I did a lot of horrible things to acquire those things. And I mean, so it doesn't make it right, but I've always had a good heart. I've always been kind and generous. And finally I'm living my authentic self. And that's because I got honest and there's still a long ways to go, but I got honest at the end of the day, I really can't lie. It's if you watch me, it's kind of funny because I'll say something where it's like, you know, just a little bit off. And I'm like, actually, that's not true. It's this way because I think to myself, I'm like, you can't, that's not true. You can't say that. And, uh, you know, so I'm not one of these guys that has to make up stories. I actually hold back from some of my stories while I talked about it because of my book, but you know what? I don't need to lie uh, about anything that I've done. If I was going to lie, I'd be lying to cover it up because it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. But I made a decision. I made a decision that I was going to be completely transparent. Uh, when anybody asks me anything, I'll tell them. It doesn't matter because without me being my authentic, ver authentic version, then how can I lead by example? You know, like I'm not proud of the stuff that I did. I'm not proud of the stuff that I did, but it's part of my life. It's part of my story and I cannot press rewind. This isn't the movie click. I don't have a remote where I can press rewind and go back. None of us do not to my knowledge anyways. And if you do, I don't think I'd press rewind anyways. There's some things that I've lost time with my kids. I talk about all the time uh, that I can't ever get back. But I truly believe that if I did not go through all the things that I went through, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I believe that the person I am today can be the best father, the best son, the best friend, and the best person that I possibly could be. And I'm going to continue to strive to be that person, you know? Uh, I'm not motivated by money at all, and it shows in my bank account, but I'm motivated by service work, by helping people, by being honest, and I feel better today than I've ever felt in my entire life. Honestly, it's, I can't explain it. So if you're feeling down, if you're having a hard time, 
reach out and get honest. Just get honest. That's all you have to do. That's the first step. Then once you get honest, once you get honest, then you can start to do work on yourself. Shout out to Jim Thompson. One week ago today, Jim Thompson was on the podcast and he said two things. Stop swearing. Stop smoking weed. I said ass today on the podcast, which is the only swear word. And is it a swear word? It's a donkey. I don't know if it's a swear word. But even that, I was like, man, I shouldn't have said that. And I have not had one, not one puff of weed since Wednesday. Well, actually, I think Tuesday night. So a week, over a week. And uh, I'm not saying that I'm never going to smoke weed again because it helped me get where I am today. It really did. I, did I smoke too much weed over the last year? You're damn rights I did. You're damn rights I did. But look at, see my arms? See how they're scarred? See those scars, guys? That's from intravenous drug use on both arms. They've healed up quite nicely, but they're still there. I used to have to wear long sleeves all the time because my arms were scabbed and infected. It wasn't pretty. Guess what? That's not me today. And I believe a big part of that was um, using cannabis to get off of that stuff. And I'm never, you're never going to change my mind. There was a lot of other things that went hand in hand, but it, it was a process. It was a process. And I got to this point today by making a decision to get honest. Yes, I use cannabis. Yes, I use methadone. But you know what? You want to judge me on those things? Go right ahead because it beats the alternative, guys. It beats the alternative. I'm gonna be all tatted up real soon. Well, maybe not real soon because I don't have the money for it, but as soon as possible, as soon as possible, tattoos, I, this is my vision for a tattoo, is uh, is I wanna have one arm where it's like my hell, my the hell of my life, um, and I think it'll be my left arm because my jail name was Lefty. That was my nickname, Lefty. You wonder why, right? But. You know what? One arm will be the hell of my life. And then the right arm, because now we're doing things the right way, will be all the, the paradise and all the great, beautiful things in my life. And uh, you know what? I've always wanted sleeves. I love tattoos. I have a bunch of tattoos, just little tiny, stupid ones like this star. And I got, I love you in sign language on my back. I got my kids' names on my side. I want more. I love tattoos. I know Taylor wants more tattoos. If anybody in Muskoka does tattoos and you have kids, I'll do some bartering. I'll do some coaching. I'll do some coaching. And guess what? I'll do coaching for free. So if you're in Muskoka or you want to come up to Muskoka for the next little while, if uh, you find a place for us to, to do it, I will do it. I'll coach for free because I want to give back. I have some skills in hockey and I want to utilize them by giving them back because you know what? My hockey skills aren't helping me anymore. So let me use my, my knowledge that I've acquired from all the great coaches and all the great players that I've played with and against uh, and my own personal life experiences to bring together this, this idea that I have. And, you know, it's, again, another thing that's a process. But I'm really excited uh, to be back coaching. I've done a couple things on ice and I uh, am actually starting an online uh, coaching. I know it's very popular these days, but as far as hockey goes, so I'm putting together a, a program. Uh, hello, Jason Martins up in Morrisburg. Going to be working with his kids and 
a very special hello to the Elliott family. I'm going to get emotional. Um, they're going through a really hard time. Justin's wife uh, is battling with cancer right now. And it's been really hard on the family. And my thoughts and my prayers are with the Elliott family. I met them when I was in Morrisburg and such a great guy. Hello, you guys. Praying for you guys. I'm with you guys. Justin, the kids. Uh, they actually won a free stick from the One Stop Skate Shop. Hello to Matt Thompson up in Morrisburg. But uh, they came in. I got to meet the kids. But they're going through a really hard time. A really, really hard time. So hello to Justin and the Elliott family. Um, that's all I'm going to say because I'm just, I just got to stop before I get too emotional. But anything I can do for you guys, please don't hesitate to ask. All you guys watching, listening, if you need support, if you want to talk to me, uh, I'm here. I talk to a lot of people throughout the days, the weeks, and people always say this. Sorry for bothering you. Sorry for bothering you. Sorry for bothering you. Sorry for bothering you. You're not bothering me. If you're bothering me, I will politely tell you that I'm busy, but it's never bothering me. It's just because I'm just busy doing something else. But if it's a pressing matter, just keep calling my phone. Keep texting me because my phone's always on silent. And uh, I try to be available for, for everyone when I can. And if you don't want to talk to me, email Sandra, Sandra at uh, she's my go-to, uh, so she's amazing, guys. We're uh, we're very lucky to have her uh, doing what she's doing for puck support and for the entire hockey community with all of her knowledge and experience. Uh, she's the right lady for the job, no doubt about it. She's been such a blessing for myself and for puck support. So many great people, Susan, um, man. It's it's been a lot of fun getting these packages out to. All those that have ordered, if you ordered, uh, we've got about 90% of them out. I mean, unless they came in the last day, two days, uh, they've gone out and the, those ones will be going out tomorrow. So thank you guys. Time to wrap this up. Pucksupport.com, promo code PROVERT for 10% off. My nose is running because I was going to cry. Get your own Puck Addiction shirt. Puck you addiction, go puck yourself. That's my version of swearing now. Go puck yourself, my addiction. And uh, all the proceeds right now are going right back into the business, into the mental health addiction fund, so we can continue this to grow. Nobody's taking money out of the business. Um, and that's just the way it is. People have like, Brady, you should take some out. You're working so hard. Guess what? You know what? I'll make money other ways. And maybe eventually, maybe eventually I can make some money from puck support. But right now, it's all about service work. It's all about offering the support, resources, education. We're continually building it. If you want to get involved, email us, team at pucksupport.com. We're completely wide open to ideas. If you think you can utilize some or even one of your skills, and if you're watching or listening, you have skills. Believe in yourself. Don't be shy. Um, we want you to get involved. Um, maybe you think it's something small, but it might have a huge lasting impact on not only what we're doing, but on the lives of others. So guys, that invitation stands. We're going to have a puck support uh, members meeting, I guess we'd call it. Uh, next week, I'm bringing everybody together uh, that's involved right from the, the pro warriors that are going to be there. Uh, Sandra and Mallory and Susan, everybody. 
it's going to be there probably D-Mac and Josh Gratton. Uh, hopefully Riley Cote can be there too. James McEwen. Shout out to J-Mac in Kelowna. Love you, buddy. Former captain of the Kelowna Rockets. Dodie Wood, if you're watching, call me back. I left you a voicemail. Uh, he's our executive director of Indigenous Relations. I had a message from somebody in the Alberta region uh, who's uh, Native American and uh, he's uh, runs group homes, youth homes uh, on his reserve. And he asked me, it was pretty cool, guys. He asked me when COVID lifts if I will come out there and run a hockey school and share my story. And that made me feel pretty good. But what doesn't make me feel good is that they're really struggling right now um, on that reserve. Uh, and people across Canada are really struggling with mental health and addiction, especially because of COVID. And we all need to just stick together. I know it's hard. Let's just keep, you know, putting out to the universe, praying about it and making the best of the situation because it's all about being grateful. If you're not feeling grateful, here's my challenge before I go. Right now, when I end this podcast, write three things down that you're grateful for. Okay. Then go get three pictures, three pictures of the things you're grateful for your kids, your wife, your husband, whatever it is. Okay. Start to make them visible to you all the time at your desk at work. If you don't have them uh, in your car, wherever it is. So if anytime you're having a rough go, all you got to do is just look at me. Like, wow. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Pucksupport.com slash shop pro promo code Probert. 10% off. Shop now, guys. That's not going to last. The money goes to a great cause, and we're remembering all these men and women we've lost. It's been amazing to connect to the families. Uh, I got some big, big shows lined up for you guys. I'm uh, going to bring in some of the family members of some of the some of the men and women we've lost. Well, men, for now, I haven't... Uh, can't promise on the women's side but i'm working towards it because there's two there's two women on the list and uh i do want to talk to their families so thank you guys for all your support thank you to chris dingman what a beauty that guy is thank you for sharing all your stories uh throughout your hockey journey and everything sharing us a little bit about his family good luck in nhl 21 you're gonna need it good luck on the odr chris you're gonna need it uh, I'm just playing. Thanks for watching, guys. If you're listening, please rate and review. And if you're watching or whatever, just share it. If you liked it, just share it because I only have so many followers and stuff. I don't know how to do social media. I don't get it really. The hashtag, I mean, I get it, but it's just not working for me. I'm not good at it. So please share it. If you like this podcast, please share it so that more people can hear it and we can keep going and reach more people if you think you want to see someone on the podcast shoot me a message drop a comment down below who would you like to see on the podcast what topics do you want us to talk about um we're always open to ideas remember guys be grateful be kind and have a great day if you so choose